Encouraging the church, we are still in uh, Paul's sermon to the Ephesian leaders. He's called them down to, uh, to Miletus and, and had asked for a time there. He didn't stop in Ephesus, it was going to take too long. Apparently then they ended up having to make a stop here in Miletus that was going give to give him time to meet with them after all. So they came down and he, he preaches this sermon to them. And we talked about a little bit two weeks ago before Steve Horn came last week about this being his, he, there are three examples of Paul's sermons in Acts. There's an example of preaching to uh, Jews, to lost Jews. Uh, there, he, there's an, uh, an example of preaching to lost Gentiles. And then we have here an example of his preaching to the church, preaching to Christians. And it's just too much here to not break down into uh, four weeks of, of sermon uh, for his one sermon, uh, he put too much here for us. So we are in the what would be the second section of his sermon, verses 22 through 24. Now, at this point in the narrative, if you remember some weeks ago, I, I, I to- told you that I believe, and by the, the name on the bottom of the screen, the wandering, that Paul has been is, is being disobedient by going to Jerusalem. But where we are in the narrative, we've read ahead, right? We, we read the, the whole thing, and we kind of got ahead of ourselves a few weeks ago when we talked about that. But if we are just following the narrative as it is in Acts, all we know at this point in the narrative, in, verse, in chapter 20, is that Paul has decided in himself to go to Jerusalem. That's chapter 19, verse 21. Uh, there's, there's little debate about the meaning of that verse 21. Paul made this decision. In verse 21, he says, I've decided to go to Jerusalem, and I am compelled, I must, that usually is a verb used to mean God's making me, go to Rome. I've decided to go to Jerusalem, I must go to Rome. Now, Luke in the narrative through here is gradually going to show us that Paul should not have gone to Jerusalem. Luke's a good writer. He's, he's gonna, it's going to be chapter 21 before Paul is told explicitly, don't go to Jerusalem. Uh, but that's not where we are. So let's keep that in mind as we move through this passage. At this moment in Paul's life, he's going to say, I've heard warnings. Uh, in verse 22, Luke is going to reiterate that the decision is by Paul's spirit. And then he's going to say the Holy Spirit is warning him. Maybe these were redirections, kind of like when he said, Jesus didn't allow me to go into those northern parts of Asia or the southern parts of Asia. He, he tried and they, uh, the Spirit wouldn't let him back in chapter 15, I believe. But right now, what we see from Paul is what is truly important to Paul. As he is moving down this road, as, as the Lord is continuing to uh, uh, to direct him, continuing to open up Paul to what the Lord's will is at this time, we get to see Paul's response. So keep that in mind as we move through this passage right now. Paul has only been told, based on what he says and Luke records so far, that it's going to be bad if he goes. That's at least his interpretation of what he's being told. And then he explains that a little bit more in these verses uh, 22 through 24. Uh, what I'm reading is on the screen, or if you'd like your own copy to hold in your hand, you can use one of our Bibles there 
uh, in the pew rack, and, I, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that one with you. Paul says in this second section of his sermon, And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, is the way this translation does it. Uh, uh, most scholars believe that it's compelled in my spirit is a better translation. Not knowing what I will encounter there. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit, and there's the distinction, warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider myself, uh, my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. We're going to see, I didn't number them, I believe six, seven, eight, y'all just panicked, different things, aspects, or different things that Paul values in this short passage. Now, again, he's, he, he is trying his best, and, I, and if I have implied that Paul is willfully sinful in his uh, dealings at this point, uh, that was not my intent. Will he eventually, in my opinion, uh, decide I'm not going to do what the Lord explicitly told me, or I'm going to do what the Lord explicitly told me to do? Well, we'll talk about that when we get to uh, chapter 21, verse 4, where the Spirit told him, don't go to Jerusalem. But right now, he is working through what he is hearing from the Holy Spirit. He is working through that process, and he is making the decisions best he can based on what he believes the Holy Spirit is telling him to do. And as he does that, as he preaches to uh, this group of uh, believers from the church in Ephesus, we get to see what he values. Now, the clearest statement he is going to make is in verse 24, but I consider my life no value at all. And we're going to get there, and we're going to talk about that, but there are other values that we can see from Paul based on what he says. The first thing Paul values, Paul values others. That's the point number one. And we see that it just in verse 22, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Now, there's some, there's some reading between the lines we have to do, or not so much reading between the lines as considering the letters that Paul wrote. Luke it does, does not talk about hardly at all and never explicitly about the offering that Paul is taking to Jerusalem that he has had collected from all these churches where he visits. But Paul talks about it fairly extensively. I mean, he mentions it some four times or so uh, throughout his letters, but that's a, a pretty good number of times for him to discuss it, and he, he devotes two full chapters in 2 Corinthians to it, chapters 8 and 9. But he talks about it briefly in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. He says, now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. So obviously he's been telling numerous churches, getting them to do this. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. See, Paul was intent on this collection for Jerusalem. 
It was for the poor believers of Jerusalem. It was uh, the, the following Christ was particularly burdensome in Jerusalem. They had had a famine uh, some years before. And so Paul was taking up this collection for the church, for the believers, and it probably would have been used for others, not just believers, to help them. Paul had this concern. Paul valued others. He valued the physical needs of others. We, as a church, take part in compassion ministries. We are encouraged by our state convention to do that as well. And we, are, we have our own food pantry, and we keep the free little pantry out here stocked as best we can. And our association is beginning to develop a, uh, an associational uh, uh, thrift store that will raise money for uh, the BCM and Dry Creek and something else I'm supposed to remember. But uh, we will take part in that. It's, it, it's for people to go and buy cheap stuff that they actually need but don't have to pay a lot for or we give it away if that's what's needed at the time but Paul valued the physical needs of others we as a church should value the physical needs of others as well Paul not only valued physical needs though or rather he he not only uh valued others in their physical needs. He valued others by showing his concern for their spiritual growth. Paul regularly wrote letters and visited with his former churches. The uh, third of the New Testament is Paul writing letters to churches and to his uh, former students, for lack of a better term, the pastors he had raised up, to encourage them and to instruct them, uh, usually when something was going wrong where they were. And they were having problems, and he said, here's, here's what you need to do. Here's the instruction. He valued their, their spiritual health, but he began valuing their spiritual health, health at their initial point of need for Jesus. Paul was crushed by the lostness of his own people. It, it, it was unbearable for him that his people, Jews, had rejected their Messiah. Romans 9, 1 through 3 tells us of that burden that he has. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit. Listen to how many times he qualifies it. Believe me, he's saying, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. How great was his sorrow? How unceasing? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Paul was willing to give up his own salvation to see his family members, his Jewish family, saved. The question Paul leaves us, the encouragement he gives to the church, the question we need to ask, do you value others? Do we value others? Will you put others before yourself? Will we especially put the lost before ourselves? And say the most important thing we have to do as a church is to reach the lost, to value them above ourselves. Second thing Paul values was determination. Compelled in his spirit, our translation on the screen earlier said compelled 
by the Spirit. There is debate among Greek scholars, and we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. Uh, it, there, there are no capital letters. Uh, sometimes Luke will put a qualifier, Holy Spirit. Uh, normally Paul will qualify Spirit with Holy when he feels there is some confusion. In this case, in this passage, it appears Luke saw no confusion because he said, compelled by his spirit, and then in the next verse, he says that he was, uh, that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me. Paul, uh, Luke did qualify it. Paul did qualify it. I'm compelled in my spirit, and the Holy Spirit is warning me. Two different spirits he's talking about here. So he is determined. And this is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing that Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem. He, he, he was determined about his need to go to Jerusalem. It, it is only bad, I believe, later on when the Lord says, do not go, he says, through his disciples. But right now, Paul is compelled. He is hearing from within, I need to do this. He believes probably at this point that it is the Holy Spirit telling him to do it. So he is going to determine to do it. At this time, he only believes he's receiving warnings about it. He, he doesn't see this as don't go. It's just I've gotten warnings over and over. Look, in every town, everywhere he goes, he gets a warning about going. And, and, and not knowing, he says, what he will encounter there. But not knowing didn't stop him. The unknown didn't deter him. He didn't look and see, well, I don't know what's going to happen if I go to Jerusalem. I mean, I know it's going to be bad. That, that's going to be clear by the, the next statement that he makes here. But that's not going to stop me. That's not going to stop me from doing what I believe at this moment the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. Paul even wrote about it when he wrote Romans, the book of Romans, from the city of Corinth on this uh, uh, journey, a little bit back in the journey uh, that we're still in right now. Uh, Romans 15, 30 through 31, he said, Now I appeal, appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He knew, and he was writing to his churches, actually, at Romans, the church in Rome he had never been to. He was writing to people he had never met to talk about how this journey to Jerusalem was, he didn't know how it's going to end up. And yet, Paul was determined to do what he believed the Lord was leading him to do. Paul would ask us, I believe in this message, do you value determination? Are you determined to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, even if it's hard? Even if the result is uncertain? How many guarantees are there in life? There are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and that Lucy's going to pull the ball from in front of Charlie Brown when he tries to kick it. 
Those are the three guarantees in life. There's, there's a cartoon strip where they have this philosophical discussion of the three, Lucy and Charlie Brown. I'm an expert. Anyway, don't try this at home. Those are the things that are guaranteed. Nothing else is. Lord, you told me to do this. Mm-hmm, you're going to die doing it too. Oh, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, you did. When? When you said, I trust Jesus as my Savior and give my life to him, you signed right there on the dotted line. I give you everything. I mean, we, Steve Horn preached about it last week. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. Now, what say does the sacrifice have about the altar? Any? This means none. This means you get a choice. Let's go with this. None. The, the sacrifice doesn't get to say, wait, you didn't say anything about fire. Uh, you didn't, Whoa, what's that knife for? This is when I signed up. This, yeah, you're the sacrifice. And, and we as believers are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Ain't no sheep crawling on the altar. They're, they're drugged. They're carried. They're put on there. They're stretched out. They're held down. And then the sacrifice is made. And Paul says in Romans 12, 1, because he understood it, he knew what he was doing right here, he knew he was crawling up on the altar. We, the living sacrifice, knowing what the altar is for, knowing the purpose of the knife and the wood and the fire, we then willingly crawl up on the altar and lay down on it and say, Lord, do as you will. Are you determined to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, even if it's hard, even if the result is uncertain? The third thing Paul valued was prayer. Compelled in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me. He was attuned to what the Holy Spirit was saying. Now, again, I, I believe that Paul is going to get off track here in just a few verses but that never stopped that was not uh, that is not indicative of him no longer listening how many of you have thought you were supposed to do something led by the lord and then find out you didn't you weren't supposed to i'll raise my hand i've told you my testimony Two different churches I went to two different times early in our ministry that i thought certainly that's what the lord wanted one of the reasons was they were easy. They were easy decisions. Well, God wouldn't want me to do something hard, would he? Moron. But that's what I thought. And so I made the easy decision and believed at the time. I'll, I'll, I don't know if I told y'all this or if I, I told some other folks, maybe my D group, I told this. In, in trying to find a journal, I'm a horrible journaler, by the way. So D group is hard for me. I can read just fine. I don't write much. I don't just enjoy sitting down and pouring out my thoughts through pen. Uh, uh, some people do. It's not me. So I've got four or five different journals saved from four or five different attempts to start journaling every day. And I usually did it about three or four days in a row-ish and then stopped. So I've got four different journals with four or five pages taken up at the beginning. I went back while I was preparing to start the D group and start the journaling that we do for our D group, and I just kind of flipped through those things. And in one church in particular, just a few days after we got there, thank you, Lord, for this church. This was just the right time at, at just, just the right place. This was, this was perfect. 
It wasn't three weeks later, my next journal entry, that's how consistent I am. What in the world did I get into? That was February. June, when I probably went back and wrote again, only about six or seven entries there, and they skipped two or three months each. Lord, just let him fire me to get out of here. This is not, what, what did I do? What did I miss here? What did I misread? If you'd asked me six months earlier, I was exactly where God told me to go. Within six months, I knew, I don't think this is right. And now I can tell you absolutely, I should have never been there. And I'm, 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 that's confession. We, we've all done that, but, but we thought we're attuned to the Holy Spirit. At least Paul was trying. At least we tried somewhat. Paul was listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was saying, you're going to face uh, major uh, uh, chains and afflictions are waiting on you. It is going to be a horrible uh, incident. He was praying about this trip. Again, we can look at Romans 15, 30 through 31. He asks this church he's never been to, pray with me. Strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued and that my ministry will be acceptable. He valued prayer. And at this moment in the narrative, I believe Paul is responding to those prayers as best he can. What he hears and what the Lord is leading him to do as he understands it, he is responding to those prayers. I will ask you, Paul might ask you too, do you value prayer? Will you pray until you get an answer? Jesus told all sorts of parables about that. And then will you continue in prayer afterward to continue to seek God's guidance? Look again, he says, in every town the Holy Spirit warns me. Doesn't say how, but any time uh, we, we, can, we can call any communion with the Holy Spirit with God prayer. We can pray through song. We can pray through words. We can pray through thoughts. We, we communicate with the Lord. And he was communicating regularly with the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And he was seeking God's guidance about what was next and what he, was, he should do. And the conclusion he came to is our next thing, uh, next value of Paul. Actually, it's a negative. Paul doesn't value comfort. Because it's clear what the Holy Spirit says. Chains and afflictions are waiting. If Paul thought comfort was important, he has a strange way of showing it. He's unsure of the details. What does chains and affliction mean? A night in jail? Years in jail? Beating, stonings? What, what, what does this mean? He didn't know. He knew it would not be good. And yet, he has continued to take this path regardless Regardless of what he knows is coming, he hears from the Lord, these are, going, these are going to happen. He believes in his heart that he should go there. So he says, it doesn't matter. I don't value comfort. His comfort and his preferences were not what he felt were important. We're going to get to what he thought was important here in just a minute. Do you value comfort? I do. I like cushy seats and, and, and air-conditioned and heating buildings. 
heated buildings, rather. But I have a friend right now in Senegal, where it's 100-something degrees every day, and he's no little guy. And that's okay, because that's what he's saying on Facebook, so I'm not saying anything he wouldn't say, too. And it's murder to him to preach, to teach pastors for a couple of days in a row and, and sleep on basically dirt, have church in, in, I think they have buildings, it's not just grass huts, but it's not exactly the sort of conveniences we're used to. And yet they are hanging on his every word, not because they're his words, but because they're God's words. Do you value comfort? Are your preferences traditions and familiarities more important than the Great Commission? What would we give up to see people saved? If we knew that 100 people would get saved, would we turn off the air conditioner during the summer? Y'all nodding, but it ain't happened yet. Hadn't come down to it. Because let's be honest, you can't take off enough clothes to get cool. We can turn off the heat in the winter, and you can bundle up enough to stay warm, but there's a point you've got to stop in the summer. That's minor, really, and not going to happen, but that's not the point. The point is, would we be willing? Are there other things we would give up to see people saved? Things that we hold as valuable and important, but not when it comes to to the Great Commission. Next thing Paul doesn't value is his life. I consider my life no value, he says in verse 24. No value. I mean, this is the ultimate not valuing comfort. Over and over, just the few people we know of that were martyred in the New Testament weren't killed humanely. So he's not saying... I don't value my life as long as I die peacefully in my sleep and never feel any pain. He's saying, I don't value my life even if I am stoned to death or crucified like my Savior. Paul was willing to surrender everything, including his very life. And he spoke often in his letters of being willing to die for the gospel. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul challenges us and asks us without asking, do you value your life? Are you willing to lay it all on the altar, Romans 12.1? Be the sacrifice, the knife, the wood, the fire, everything you know that goes with that from your smallest possession to your next breath, and everything in between, are you willing to lay it all down? Do you value your life more than gospel ministry? Paul values his calling next. My purpose, he says, is to finish the course. Here's that determination that we talked about at the beginning. He values determination. Here we see it. My purpose is to finish the co my course, to finish my race. Paul knew his purpose. Paul knew what he was called to do. He never questioned that. He saw it 
first, we saw it first in Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, said to Ananias, who was arguing about Paul, by the way, Saul, really, Lord, Saul, that's your guy? That's you? you want me, the Christian, to go visit the Christian killer? Can we discuss this? You know, Ananias was having that little bit of, uh, that's hard, I don't want to do that. And God says to him, the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he has to suffer. He must suffer for my name. Paul knew his calling. He knew what he had to do, and he knew what the result would be of doing it. And yet he didn't back down. He valued his calling. Philippians 1.20, right before the verse about him saying, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Hear this last phrase, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Calling was more important than living. As a matter of fact, Paul understood that in my calling, if death is the result, then I have done as much by dying for the gospel as I may have done by living for the gospel. One preacher said this, A man or woman who never does anything except what can be done easily will never do anything worth doing at all. Really just a rephrase of what we've all heard growing up. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. A few things that are worth doing are easy. Well, imagine that in the life of the church. If, if we only answer the call that's easy, we'll never answer the call. We'll never stand up for Christ because it's always going to be hard. I, I search diligently for the passages in, the, in Scripture that says, Hey, come to Jesus and everybody will love you. And the world will love you. And they'll think you're great. And they'll be like, ooh, tell me about this thing that I have to have to be saved because you think I'm not saved the way I am. Please. They don't. There's no promise like that. The promise is of persecution. The promise is of rejection and we answer the call knowing that is the promise. Do you value your calling as Paul does? Are you full of purpose and commitment only up until it looks like you're losing? Or the course begins to, be, uh, begins to get difficult? Or do you value you, your purpose and your commitment, your calling, no matter what? Lastly, nope, not lastly, two more. Paul values Jesus. He says, from the Lord Jesus, this calling I have received, my purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul could not give up. Paul could not give in. Paul could not waver. Paul could not run from suffering when he considered the suffering of Jesus. Jesus, I know you died, on a horrible, died a horrible death on the cross for me, for my sins. You suffered horribly in a way that I cannot imagine. But would it be okay if people didn't not like me? 
I mean, that's just as bad as you dying on the cross. I mean, do you know what so-and-so said about me? I mean, I know you were crucified, but they said I was weird. Do you know how bad that is, Jesus? And do you know how stupid that sounds? Of course you do. So Paul could not say, well, I can't do this because, I mean, Jesus didn't even have to do this because Jesus had to do everything. Jesus had to take it all. And so Paul could not run from suffering because he valued Jesus. Paul placed too high a value on Jesus and his relationship with him to deny the call from him. I can't be disobedient to Jesus because he did everything for me. And I'm going to turn around and say, well, I know you died for me, but I can't talk to my neighbor about you. I got to live on this street. I got to live with these people. They can't think I'm a weird Christian. Oh, but thanks for being crucified, by the way. Do you value Jesus? Paul would ask. Is Jesus an ornament on a shelf? Our Savior on the shelf? Uh, A get-out-of-hell-free card? Or is he the very purpose and end of your getting out of bed every day? Is that why you breathe? Is that why you wake up? Do you value Jesus? The last thing we see here that Paul values is the gospel. To testify to the gospel of God's grace. In this little section, it wasn't about collections. It it wasn't about an offering. Though, though Though important, though the collection was important. It wasn't about justice, though Paul talks a lot about that. It wasn't about justice, though important. It wasn't about service to the church, though important. It wasn't about ministry as we might define it, though important. All of those are results uh, results and callings of the gospel, but they aren't the gospel. Paul valued that God saves through Jesus Christ. That was his value. Nothing else mattered. Important things to do, ministry and collections and all this. Sure, absolutely, we need to do all that, and and Paul did it. Paul had no death wish. Paul wasn't thinking, boy, I surely sure hope I get chopped up into pieces and die. That'd be great. That's not what he was standing back thinking, but he was willing to take that if that was next because he valued the gospel above all. Let's go back to the beginning. He valued others so much he would give up his own salvation to see others saved because he knew the value of the gospel. He knew the value of salvation. Do you value the gospel? Do you value it enough to pray for the opportunity to share it with your one, represented up here by these ping pong balls? Do you value it enough to give up on some things that you thought were important, to to take some hits politically, socially, uh, familially in your family? Relationally, there's the word. Or maybe I need to ask if you've experienced the gospel in your own life at all. Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever 
experience the salvation, to know the value of it. Well, you'll have a chance this morning. See, God designed us for particular, uh, for perfection, actually, but His plan and His design uh, are perfect, and anytime we go against that, and we do, uh, it causes brokenness. And, and what causes that brokenness is sin. Anytime we go against God's design, we are sinning. Anytime we go against God's expressed will, we are sinning. And every time we sin, it breaks our life a little bit more. And there's nothing we can do to fix that brokenness. We don't have the power to save ourselves, to forgive ourselves. We don't have the power to fix our families, to fix our uh, relationships. We don't have the power to do any of it because every attempt on our part always eventually just leads to more brokenness. But when we come to Christ, when we experience the gospel, Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, crucified for you and for me, both in our place, we mean that when we say for you and for me, but taking our sins and our punishment for you and for me, then buried and rising again on the third day to show us that he had power over sin and death. If we trust that gospel, if we believe that gospel, if we repent of our sins, and believe in Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. And we will be free then to recover and to pursue God's design, living a life of, of sanctification and seeking Him, and, and most importantly, telling other people about how we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That salvation is offered for you today. Do you value the gospel? pray. Lord, thank you that you're working on us, Lord, that you are continuing to sanctify us as believers. Thank you that this morning you are working on a heart or two or three that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't value the gospel in the same way that someone who's experienced salvation does. And I pray that you would continue to work on their hearts, that they would respond in faith today. God, I thank you that your word still speaks. I thank you that Paul gives us a lesson in what to value. And that we as believers can value these things. And this morning we can turn our hearts just one more little tick toward being more like Jesus. May you speak to us today in this time of response. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Mindy, I'm going to ask you to play a song uh, before our, time of, uh, our song of response. And I want to open up the altar. Uh, it's open every Sunday. But instead of five minutes, we're going to make it ten this morning that the altar is open for prayer. And those five minutes, I want you to change your position. I don't know what that means. It maybe means sitting down instead of standing up. It might mean standing up instead of sitting down. It may mean kneeling where you are. It may mean coming up here. But I, I would like for you to adjust yourself in some way so that you're, well, frankly, uncomfortable. Kind of like fasting, but only for five minutes. And pray. Pray that the Lord would move in this place.
Pray that the Lord would move in our hearts. Pray for unity in our church. Pray for a vision to reach our community and the world for Jesus Christ. Pray for an opportunity for you to share the gospel with your one. We'll open it up. Tom and I will be down front as usual. And Mindy, you signal the praise team when you're on to wherever he leads, I'll go. We will sing that as our invitation, our time, song of response, our invitation song. And then we'll end the service like we normally do. But for these next five minutes, I want it to be concerted, focused prayer for the lost and for our church. So whatever you need to do to do that, I pray that you would now. Maybe you have a decision you'd like to make, accept Christ. You need to be baptized. You need to recommit, lead a life of holiness. You'd like to join our church. Maybe you need to, uh, you, you want to write that on a connection card. Let us know how we can pray for you. If you're online watching, maybe you want to comment on Facebook, send the church a message. We'd love to hear from you there. But for five minutes, let's change positions and let's pray.